the Televerse podcast from Pop Optic TV. P-O-P-O-P-T-I-Q.com. Comedy, reality, drama, genre, and what's in between. Covering anything that's interesting. Geek out on television, so much to see. So Peak TV kills us all. Current retro, upcoming TV talk every week. Let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse Pop Optics TV podcast. This is Kate Kolzik, and I'm joined this week by the fabulous Caroline Sita from the AV Club. Caroline, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It's going to be super fun. Uh, what is new for you this week in TV? Because the past few weeks, normally we don't do news up at the top on the podcast, but with TCAs and all the craziness that was going on for the, for like that marathon slog, I've sort of gotten into the habit of it. But this week, I feel like there's not news. It's like a brief respite before the craziness of the fall. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. We're in like a weird kind of slump period. I guess like biggest news is the Mr. Robot finale. That's kind of like, I don't know, the most topical thing. But I agree, not not too much going on this week. That's nice. So are you enjoying your Labor Day weekend then? Is it because like so many shows, I was all ready with my show list. And and for whatever reason, Wikipedia told me that there was a new Fear of the Walking Dead and those other things. And I, I guess I must not have been paying close enough attention. And then I go Sunday night. I'm like, OK, let's do this. Let's uh, power. <laughs> and there was like nothing because the Labor Day weekend. Yeah, I agree. It was weird. I ended up watching um, Catwoman, the terrible Halle Berry movie last night. Oh, since fun. Fear of the Walking Dead wasn't on. But yeah, a fine Labor Day weekend. It's been really hot here in Chicago. So that's kind of been a downer for me as someone who doesn't like the heat. But TV-wise, I have no complaints. Yeah, we'll take it, right? Like, it's been in, like, maybe this week I'll finally get caught up with, uh, there were a couple, uh, Other Space, still haven't seen, mm-hmm. uh, I, I still have uh, my Mad Fat Diary on my list, and I still haven't seen Orange is the New Black Season 3 beyond, like, the first episode. Yeah. I feel like yeah. I'm a bad fan for saying that, but. <laughs> There's just so much. I mean, and you watch an incredible amount, so. Yeah, no, there's so much to keep up with. Well, this week at the end of the show, we'll be talking about a BBC series from 2007 called Party Animals, which was so much fun to discover. Oh, I'm so glad. And uh, this has a young, uh, well, like a, she's still young, but this has a fresh-faced uh, Matt Smith, as well as yeah, some other faces. Yeah, so th- that'll be coming. It was a lot of fun to talk about, so that'll be at the end of the show. Well, we're going to then leave the top here nice and short and head into our... It's it's. I like how this is a slump week, but there's still like a bajillion things to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Almost all of them comedy. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back with our week in comedy. So we'll be right back. In comedy, we're going to preview The League Season 7 and You're the Worst Season 2. And then I'll talk a little bit about Married Mother's Day and review William Tell, Grant a Wish, Rowboat, which I just, come on. I love that that's a show. <laughs> that with a, That's the title of a show. Uh, then we'll move on. We'll both talk about Key and Peele, the 420 special, uh, Playing House, Kimowa Cup, 
Difficult People even later, and The Carmichael Show, Kale and Gender. Um, but first up is The League and You're the Worst, which are starting up this week on FXX. And I've seen much of the last couple seasons of The League. I haven't seen the early seasons of the show. And, of course, listeners of the Televerse will know that we're big fans here of <laughs> You're the Worst. Uh, but you haven't seen any of it. You, you haven't seen either of these shows. Correct. So you actually wrote a really great piece, Kate, about jumping into TV shows kind of in the middle, in the in midstream rather than feeling like you need to catch up. So I was very inspired by that. And I was more than willing to jump into the league, which I vaguely knew the premise of. And you're the worst, which other than the idea of like characters who aren't so great, I didn't really know the premise of. Um, so I jumped right in, which was really fun for me. I don't know if it makes me the most uh, credible critic here because I don't have a ton <laughs> to compare them to. Um, but I will say that this is props for your piece that that it is pretty easy to jump in. And, you know, I, I found things to enjoy in all four of the episodes that we got to watch as part of this preview. So, yeah, definitely don't be afraid to jump in midstream, I'd say. We saw the first two of each season. Mm-hmm. So let's start with the league. Uh, what did you what did you think? Are you, are you a football person? I am I am the as far away from a sports person as it is possible to be, which made for an interesting <laughs> viewing experience. I did get the jo- they made a couple jokes in reference to the Super Bowl, which I had happened to watch this year, so I was very proud of myself for understanding those. Um, yeah, one thing that that occurred to me just right off the top is it's just so interesting how segmented our TV has become now, where the league seems so specific to being a sports fan, and of course, there's more generalized things that. You know, of course, anyone can enjoy. But in the same way that I think difficult people, you're going to get the most out of it if you are really into that pop culture world, like the league, you are going to get the most out of it if you're a sports fan. So I did feel a little bit behind on that, as well as because I think so much of the episode is about watching these dynamics that have been built up for so long. Um, that was a little tricky for me. But yeah, I found that there were things to enjoy here. It definitely feels like a show that is late in its run and is not quite as fresh as it used to be. Um, I found that the second episode was stronger than the first for me. I think it gets a little more high concept and a little weirder. And I think that this is the kind of show that operates best when we have kind of really crazy set pieces going on. And I think the second episode had stronger set pieces than the first. So overall, there were like solid jokes throughout, but like not quite as many laughs as I would want from a comedy I'm going to kind of try to watch week to week. Yeah, and I... You know, the first episode centers around the draft. Uh, well, not the draft. The uh, so every year, this group of, of, fran- of friends does the fantasy league, and whoever wins uh, wins the prize. Is the you know wins the league, and the, the loser is the sacco. And so the first episode deals with um, the fallout from Andre winning, and and Taco, you know, being punished with the sacco, and yeah. Trying to deal with that. Yeah, like you say, this is a show that it's very clearly it's in it's in its last season. And it's you can tell that by watching it. You can tell mm-hmm. that these are all jokes that the sh- the people who've seen the show will be very comfortable with. And that aren't like you said, aren't as fresh. But because you have that if you've been watching, you have that history with it. So they will uh, have more resonance, I would guess, than for mm-hmm. a new viewer. But the dynamics between the characters are certainly fun, and you get that lived-in quality of the relationships that you know is fun in a late-season show. So, yeah, like you said, if if you are a fan of fantasy football and you've not seen uh, the show before, I think you'll like it. Like the like they bring in football stars every every season premiere. 
his football stars and I never know who they are yeah yeah I was I knew one of the like maybe three or four that they had yeah but it was still fun I, I enjoyed the draft day stuff and then the second episode has Leslie Bibb uh as Megan um she was really fun to see uh you know in, in that dynamic with uh with the ex-husband and the new and you know she's dating Andre now and I, I really enjoyed the, uh, the whole um was 1880s 1890s yeah, themed yeah. draft was delightful like an oscar wilde themed draft pick yeah that was great i really enjoyed uh the megan character as well i feel like this is maybe a show that is not so great with its female characters mm-hmm. um it seemed like like jenny seemed great it seemed like everyone else was kind of like the bitter wife who was <laughs> nagging on their husband uh-huh. um so i was really glad that megan like she gets to be really funny and weird kind of in the same way that andre is and i was so grateful for that because i feel like this this might be a problem that the show has with maybe not the best treatment of female characters so she went a long way to sort of um i don't know make me less worried about that yeah and because there really is just the one female lead there aren't I mean there's there's the um the Kroll character's wife uh, is a recurring figure, but mm-hmm. but that's about it. It's really just Jenny. Um, and so it's nice to get a little bit more balance there in, mm-hmm. in this episode. But yeah, I had fun with them. Um, I, like you said, I wasn't laughing out loud as much as I would like. And I don't know that I'll make time for the league for this last season of the show. But anybody who's a fan of the show, anybody who enjoys these performers, I mean, they're so affable. They're so, they have such a relaxed chemistry together um, that, I mean, you're gonna if you like these people you'll like this this season if you've liked the show you i think you'll be very happy with these two episodes yeah agreed well what about you're the worst because uh, this has gotten a lot of critical buzz so uh did you did that hamper your viewing experience was it like weird jumping in the second season after hearing so much discussion of the first season it was not particularly weird because i think i i had heard discussion about the fact that it was good, but not so much about the details or anything. So that I could kind of go into with open eyes. These, after watching these two episodes, I was really excited to soon go back and watch the first season. Like these really won me over really quickly. Uh, It's interesting because I think with comedies, I tend to respond most to the ones where the characters are similar to me, um, which is, I don't know, more like your Liz Lemon than maybe your cool party people, (laughs) which I think is more what you're the worst is about. But um, despite that, I really, really, um, responded well to this. Like it didn't have characters I related to personally, but it had characters I really enjoyed hanging out with. Um, despite the fact that they do pretty terrible things, like pretty much <laughs> throughout, um, yeah. they really remain really likable. I'll say the British accent went a long way to immediately like uh, just making me interested Jimmy. in this. Yeah, Jimmy's accent was a big plus. But beyond that, uh, yeah, I just thought it's it's really funny in a way that I hadn't seen before. Um, it feels very specific. And, um, yeah, just really, I'm just impressed by how likable these leads are, despite being so unlikable. Um, I thought the second episode, again, in my, uh, was a little bit stronger than the first. But but really, with both of these, I was I was uh, really enjoyed them. And I'm really excited to go back and watch season one now. Yeah, you're going to have fun discovering the first season. Absolutely. And uh, that's what I, th- you know, I, I find it difficult sometimes to talk about You're the Worst to people who haven't seen it. Because you, it's so easy to fall into the trap of, oh, well, it's a bunch of terrible people. Uh, mm-hmm. But you're they're really like because so so few shows get that balance right, um, and the two I would point to are you're the worst and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, and they're so different tonally, but it's that combination of you really are invested in these characters and you like them, um, and they they manage to make them terrible without making them obnoxious, and I think that that's 
it's too easy to to do that to fall back into well we want to make them grading and challenge our viewerships like no, just make them feel you know make them human give them you know foibles and uh, and don't, then don't try to you know cover it over in the end by adding some sappy music you know like they they mm-hmm. make make fully developed people and that's what this show does uh, and when you're talking about the the two episodes um i would have we get a little bit from Edgar. He gets some stuff to do, but mostly I think the reason the second episode is so strong is because Heather Donahue as Lindsay is just so great in that mm-hmm. second episode. Yeah, she really is. Yeah, the dynamic between the four characters is is very strong. You, there's a whole world of supporting characters you're going to get to meet in season one. One of them shows up briefly <laughs> to wake up uh, uh, the Aya Cash character, uh, Gretchen, and uh, give her a yeah. different phone. So there's a whole dynamic there that you that you won't be familiar with, but um, but no, there, the I think it comes back strong. It, it picks off from the the way that the first season ended well, um, but yeah, the second episode gets a little bit more into Lindsay, which I think makes it really stand out. And I look forward to watching these dynamics develop over the rest of the season. Uh, it's sort of like the first episode answers that question of. Um, how are things going to change now that Gretchen and Jimmy are living together? Is this still the same show? Uh, so I think it, the first episode sort of functions to, you know, qualm any you know, like or like calm any fears that might exist. Are these gonna are they gonna settle into something? And it, it's still very much the same show. So uh, I look forward to. I look forward to Edgar and Desmond Borges getting more to do, uh, but and and he gets some, but I think he'll get more as the season continues. And it's I'm glad that you enjoyed the show and, mm-hmm. and could see its charms yeah i think what helps this is interesting to compare it to the league as well i think what helps is that the characters are unlikable but they all like each other yeah and that was actually one of my problems with the league too i was at some point i was like why are these people all hanging out with each other they all seem to hate each other like in that you know maybe if you watch it more that dynamic doesn't grate as much but what what i really appreciate about you're the worst is that they find the way for the character to just really enjoy hanging out together and that is enjoyable for me to watch as a viewer so props to them for getting that so right well because they're terrible people but they are incredibly respectful of each other and that's really what i keyed into in the first season with this especially in the gretchen and jimmy relationship Mm -hmm. that they've got all these things that they that make them kind of terrible but they have a profound respect for each other and there's a level of trust and acceptance there that you just you don't see a lot of other places especially about dating couples um Mm -hmm. it doesn't fall into the the traps of um trying to fix the other person or like it this is a show that about characters that accept each other um and maybe sometimes bring out the worst in each other but sometimes also bring out the best and um yeah so i think i'm glad you enjoyed it and i think people will be very excited to see it so i'm um, thank you fx uh, fxx for sending us screeners we're very happy to be able to plug Yay. these two shows um next up is another fx show and that's married mother's day i wanted to just mention it because judy greer i thought was really great here and and i i also really like that they gave paul reiser more to do in this week's episode this episode deals with um there's a spat between uh uh, Lena and and the teenage daughter and uh, it sort of it approaches a lot of Mother's Day kind of or, or conflicts between teens and and mothers that you see on TV but it sort of does that does the ideas like married so frequently does it kind of deconstructs some of the things that you're expecting to see and and does it pretty well I and again like we've said on on the podcast previously if you have if you get a chance to catch up with this episode I would look forward to your thoughts uh, Caroline but um 
Paul Reiser is really great on the show, and I like when they give him more to do. This is an episode where he got more to do. I also really like to see Brad Gelman getting more to do, and he gets a little bit more dramatic beats to play here. And like we have said in the past couple of weeks, uh, Brad Gelman can be really great, um, or is usually really great when, when given more to do. So it's nice to see him get a little drama to play. So just wanted to mention it this week. And next up is Review, William Tell, Grant Wish, Rowboat. Last week, uh, I was talking with a friend of the show, Emily L. Stevens, a lot about reviews. So I'm going to keep this very brief. But just people should go read Emily's review of this episode because it's it's fantastic. And this was a hilarious, hilarious episode. Like the the way that they made up Andy Daly for being stranded out at sea. <laughs> the was it the the Pacific um, or Atlantic garbage heap uh, in the middle of the ocean it was delightful and hilarious. Um, it was another really strong episode of review. Uh, I like how the show... I don't know if the show's forgotten that he has vetoes or not, because, you know, before you get shot twice in the chest by your dad with a bow and arrow, you'd think you'd veto reviewing William Tell. Um, but apparently not. So I, I look forward to seeing how that comes back, and I'm sure it will by the end of the season, but this was this was a fun episode. Do you watch Review at all, or is it just you missed I it this week? I don't. It's on the, it's like probably number one of comedies I need to catch up with, and everything mm-hmm. I've heard has just been, you know, people raving about it, so I'm excited to finally delve into that when I have time. Yeah, no, it was, it was a particularly, um... Yeah, it was a particularly fun episode. And Jessica St. Clair, who we'll talk about in a little bit in play, when we talk about Playing House, was very good in this episode as well. Uh, we got, she got a little bit more screen time this week. But uh, but no, it was it was definitely a lot of fun. Oh, How did you feel about Key and Peele, the 420 special? Because this is the – it's not the penultimate. It's the anti-penultimate episode. But mm-hmm. it's the penultimate week because next week they're doing their last two episodes. Uh, was this a particularly strong episode for you? So this is, it's interesting because I feel like I mostly see Key and Peele sketches sort of just the ones that go viral. Like mm-hmm. I realize watching this that I don't tend to just sit down and watch the show. So I maybe don't have the best comparison for shows, you know, as a whole. But I would say this, I don't know, this didn't seem like the strongest entry to me. It's definitely, especially trippy, it seems that like 420 theme. Um, I definitely enjoyed aspects of it. Like I never sit down and watch Key and Peele and like and feel like mad at the end like I'm always <laughs> gonna find something to laugh at so I you know there's no complaints there but I would say overall like if I'm picking out some sketches for people to watch like probably they're not going to be ones that come from this episode the standout sketch to me is definitely the Neil deGrasse Tyson one which I don't even think built in a particularly satisfying way and I wasn't thrilled with the button but the concept and the execution was just so great that I didn't even mind like I could see the flaws but I was like I could just like, give me, like, five more of these, and I'm still going to be, you know, tickled mm-hmm. by this concept. And I like that they did that three-part structure mm-hmm. to it, which is not something that the show usually does. So for those who haven't watched this episode, there's a Neil deGrasse Tyson, like, mini-sketch at the beginning, and then uh, they come back to it in the middle, and they, they end with it as well. So they have, the like you said, a little arc to the narrative there. I also thought that – I thought that the performances from both Key and Peele in mm-hmm. that were particularly delightful. Really good. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that was definitely the standout sketch for me as well. The marbles one was less effective, and, and particularly the button didn't re- like the, just like the manic, you know, gleam yeah. in in Keegan Michael Key's eyes was particularly delightful. But like the way it ended and culminated in, in the button and everything didn't really work for me as well. Um, same thing with the Taylor sketch. I think what I actually most enjoyed about the Taylor sketch was the ridiculous bro character that Jordan Peele yeah. was doing and just kind of catching chunks of his conversation uh was was nice but uh the other one that i did 
enjoy was probably the telemarketer sketch, which is such a straightforward thing. But I don't know. I've I've gotten plenty of annoying phone calls from telemarketers. So it worked for me. Yeah, telemarketer was really strong to me. I the Taylor one, I was like that maybe was like a, a real low point. I was not a fan of that one. And the marbles one, I can see all the complaints, but something of, like I think I'm just relate to that concept of like I don't know that tactile desire to touch something. So like the specificity of that, I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. I also thought there's the little Game of Thrones one with the yeah. the valets discussing Game of Thrones was not my favorite until they just had like this insane button where these guys just like jump into the like big hole in the sky thing from Game of Thrones and that like I don't know I laughed so hard at that it was so dumb but it was just the right amount of dumb uh-huh. uh, and I think that kind of characterized this episode like just the right amount of dumb in some <laughs> of these sketches and I think Kim Peele sometimes they you know they have such intelligent stuff this was it was a very weird and purposefully dumb episode and and at times I really enjoyed that yeah I can totally see that for me this was one of the sketches the Game of Thrones Valley sketch that was released at the start of the season to like mm-hmm. kind of promote the show. So I had already seen it. So when it came out, I was like, wait, but didn't they already do this? I was so confused until I re- realized where I had seen it previously. And I think because with only two episodes left, that has to be them killing the valets, right? Mm-hmm. That's such, uh, you know, if you're going to send them out, that's the way to send them out. So I, you know, it, w- it also speaks to how much I feel like I've seen these characters. I didn't go, oh, yes, this one again. Awesome. Yeah. It was, wait a minute. I, I feel like I should be getting new things. So so I won't really miss the valets that much. I know a lot of people love them. But you, like you said, the right amount of dumb to, <laughs> to mm-hmm. end that, that recurring bit. But uh, yeah, it's th- this last season, as much as I love Key and Peele, this last season has certainly felt less inspired. And I feel like the hit to miss ratio has been a little bit uh, decreased from, you know, from some of the previous seasons. Maybe I would say probably season three is their strongest Um off the top of my head, but uh, certainly the, this season has been a little bit less consistent, or I should say the highs have been higher and there've been a lot more in the middle. I haven't felt like there were a bunch that were just huge misfires, but I also haven't seen, you know, so I can see when they're, if they're, they're ending the show, I can see why they're doing it. And I'm glad mm-hmm. that they're still going out decently strongly. If, if, even if not at their peak. So I look forward to one more week of key and peel, I guess. Yeah. But let's move on to our next show, and that's uh, Playing House, Kim Cup. Because I, I love Playing House, but I feel like this is a easy segue because this felt I was this was a lackluster Playing House for me. Yeah, it's interesting. So Playing House is a show I only discovered very recently. I think I had heard a little bit of murmurings about it, but I actually discovered it because I tend to when I want to veg out at night, I'll just like put on the uh, Modern Family marathons that USA does, and this comes on after that. So it's really only for the uh, the past couple weeks that I've been checking out the show. And I really like it. Um, I definitely agree with you that there's something overly familiar about this episode. Like it feels like this is a, you know, a little beat that we felt that we've seen a million times where it's two friends and one of them is dating someone and that kind of messes with their relationship and let's reaffirm their friendship at the end. So I felt all that familiarity, but there's something about the specificity of the relationship between Maggie and Emma. And again, maybe it's because I am so new to this show. So I, I still delight in that relationship. Um, something about that specificity elevated this to me, um, even as I saw that it, I agree it was like sort of lackluster. I don't know. I, I could still get emotional just because I like these characters so much. So I think that that's to the show's benefit, even if this was, you know, more of a retread of a plot you've seen a million times. Well, and all, when you speak about the specificity, there's also details like... You talked about this earlier also with identifying with characters. If I had been working on a puzzle like that, 
And oh, I got so And upset. someone <laughs> finished it. I would, they, yeah, that was an appropriate rational amount of vitriol. Agreed, from, agreed. From, from Maggie, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, and, and again, like we said about You're the Worst, or I said about You're the Worst, this is a show that shows friends who really respect each other, even if they, when they're not, like, Maggie's trying so hard to be chill, and and when she finally goes over the edge a little bit, uh, Emma then completely reels it back in and understands where she's coming from, too. So there's such a strong bond there, like you said, that it really does help elevate uh, an otherwise very familiar episode. Um, I, I always enjoyed the Sklar brothers, so mm-hmm. it was fun to see them pop up. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last thing I'll have to say is, because, uh, of course, USA has been putting out the next week's episode a week early on demand. So next week, they're going to have the last two episodes of the season, uh, but they only put the first episode up on demand. So I've seen that one. And guys, it's so good. It's like, it's really good. Um, Full rom-com feels lots of Keegan-Michael Key and Jessica St. Clair goodness. uh, Lots of Lennon Parham goodness as well. There's so much to like. And it's like, I, I keep checking to see if maybe they'll put the last one up on demand early too but no apparently not um so it's really good so if you like this one caroline yeah yeah like do you have on demand because if you do i would tell you like we need to stop recording for 20 minutes so you can go watch it because it's really good but it's going to be a strong end of the season do you think the show's going to get renewed i don't know i worry that it's just i mean i think everyone who watches it loves it but i just worry you know i'm pretty tuned in and i feel like i had been it had still been flying under my radar so that does make me nervous about its future yeah i'm not very optimistic about it I know last year i discovered it around this time in the summer like i'd seen like two people talk about it maybe and mm-hmm. i just marathoned a bunch and caught up and then watched the end of the season and really really liked it uh loved it actually it made my top 20 of the year last year um snuck in mm-hmm. there at the edge uh and this year i've been blabbing about it nonstop. but like you say there's so much tv that a show that feels yeah. as low stakes as playing house um it's harder for it to get eyes. But anybody, like, mm-hmm. like you mentioned earlier, Liz Lemon, anybody who likes a Liz and Jenna relationship or a uh, um, Leslie Nope and Anne friendship, like if if you're missing female friendships on TV and you're mm-hmm. not watching Playing House, you're doing it wrong. Even going back to like Friends, I always, when I used to watch Friends, the Monica-Rachel relationship always really stood out to me. And this is like, you take that, and, you know, isolate it and just build a show around it. And that is really exciting. Yeah. So more next week, basically. Yeah. Lis- gentle listeners, more next week. <laughs> Let's move on, though, to difficult people even later. Uh, have you seen been, been watching this one or was this a new Yeah, diving? yeah, yeah. No, this one I've been keeping up with. It's, like, very much in my wheelhouse. I was familiar with both Billy Eichner and Julie Klossner. Klossner? No, I don't even know her name. Um, not that familiar. But, no, I had I like both of these people and um, this whole, like, I don't know. I, I feel like this is a show where I'm getting every pop culture reference as opposed to the the league where I'm struggling with the sports references. This is definitely for me. Um, I am of two minds about this show. On the one hand, I, it's so funny. And the, again, I'm really into specificity. And I think that is great here. The Billy Julie relationship is like the perfect amount of sweet and weird and gross and awful. Like, I think that that is perfect. But um, I think that this episode like really encapsulates both the, the things I like about difficult people and the things that I struggle with. And it really is a great showcase for the Billy Julie relationship. Sometimes the show kind of splits them up, but this week is 
all about putting them together as they're they're procrastinating on you know writing something and end up doing it in the middle of the night so we could never identify with that right oh yeah right never i, I was like this is a little too real <laughs> um but yeah so I, the show does such a good job of making their their failures funny but sometimes i want it to get to make their successes funny as well. Like th this is a show that's telling me that these people are moderately successful. Like, you know, they have comedy. They're supposed to be kind of known in the community. And I'm like, I wish that instead of, you know, all the funny coming from the procrastinating and then a real quick montage of them actually writing, like if there was a way to kind of show off what they were writing or show their talent, that's something I'm missing. Also, I think that there's, it can be a little bit surface at times. And I just want there to be just a tad bit more emotional depth. And I know surface is, is kind of like, the, the tone the show is going for. And I don't want it to completely change, but I think one one plotline I really responded well to is when Billy went to his brother's house, Fred Armisen, for Yom Kippur. And there was just a little, there was depth to that relationship and, and you felt like it was making Billy more of a human. And I think that this week with Julie's pregnancy, there would have been a really good opportunity to sort of, I don't know, make her feel more realistic or let her deal with that in a way that wasn't just comedic. And I do wonder if this is, just butting into a limitation with the actress's skills because I think she is more of a, a writer than a and a comedian than an actress. And I think, you know, if you had someone with more of an acting background, maybe she could have mined a little more depth in there. Um, those are pretty minor complaints. Like I enjoy watching this show so much that those are not things that like, I don't know, hurt my experience watching it. They're just things that I think would elevate the show to, to going from good to great. Yeah. I can hear where you're coming from. Uh, about wanting a little bit more depth to just if, if only it's just like we tend to like I shouldn't say I tend to like uh dramas that have a little bit of comedy in it you know and and, mm -hmm. and comedies that have a little bit of drama uh to even just to add a little contrast to heighten both elements um so yeah I mean I was getting some of that depth from the pregnancy mm -hmm. storyline and I liked the way that it kept it couldn't help but intrude on everything that they were doing it you know, because as much as she's trying to write, her brain just keeps coming back to, holy crap, what if I'm pregnant? Um, and so, but I don't know how much that I was bringing to it versus you know, the show was, you know, really wanting to present and ex explore. Um, so it worked for me as a more subconscious element to what was going on, but I can definitely mm -hmm. see where you're coming from uh, and wanting the show to explore that. And I've gotten some of that more with on the show also with the Andrea Martin character and her relationship, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with uh, with Julie and, you know, that that mother daughter uh, wanting different things for, for each other in 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 Julie's life, I guess. But um, but like you said, it's a it's a really good spotlight for the Billy Julie relationship. Mm -hmm. It was very strange to see uh just such a, on a gas tire show for like thirty seconds. Yeah, their cameos are always like that. They get these big name people in for like yeah like 20 seconds it's very bizarre yeah i mean i enjoyed it it was it was super fun and mm -hmm. i need more anna gasteyer in in my life come on good wife at least one next season at least one but um i i think the the real uh star uh guest kind of thing was amy sedaris who i thought was so fun mm -hmm. was that debbie harry who comes by later i don't i couldn't think, i don't know that was a that was another moment where i was confused but it very possible it was because <laughs> i saw i saw debbie harry come up in the credits i was like oh okay but i love so i guess it mu yeah must yeah have been. i loved that they de developed this whole like mythology of this person um yeah. in such little time yeah it was a great it was a great bit and really well done uh in a way i hadn't really seen before and just enough time to it as well 
we did not need mm-hmm. more time with that character. Um, but referencing her in other ways, I thought did did work. Um, I didn't really like the montage of wait a second, we need to learn from our experiences today and cutting back. That was weird. They haven't really done that previously. I, I it felt totally off. Yeah, it was too. It was like a meta. It was like almost a meta moment of them acknowledging they were like on a show where they were going to learn a lesson. I agree. It was like they had a they had a good like concept and then no real way to end it. So they were like, let's just state our ending. <laughs> uh, and again, I think that that's getting to what I'm saying. Like, I want the show to be a little more deep, like a, a, a show that was a, a tad bit more serious. Like, again, I don't want it to totally change itself, but, but I think if it were a little bit more realistic, it wouldn't feel the need to like kind of lampshade or highlight those moments. It would just like trust its audience to go along, but because it is so surface, it like wants to hold our hand there a little bit. Yeah. So I like this episode. I would say last week's episode was stronger. Uh, I think it's still one of my favorites of the season, the previous episode, but, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, but like you said, a great dynamic, a uh, great uh, highlight of that dynamic. And I look forward to them finishing out the season there again. We're getting towards the end of a lot mm-hmm. of these seasons. Yeah. They're all so short. Yeah. Well, and speaking of these are, we have one more week of the Carmichael show uh, after this week's two episodes. I had seen the first episode, Kale, um, because it was it went up initially on the screener site, but I had not seen gender. There's an episode about a transgender teen on NBC right now, guys. How amazing yeah. is that? Yeah, a transgender teen of color. I am so glad that this show exists. I am so bummed that it is kind of being burned off in this way. I just saw a little news article about the fact that that its viewership is actually up, so that gives me a little bit of hope. But um, yeah, this was. I'm so glad that I that I didn't just write this show off as kind of like another one of those, mm-hmm. um, you know, filmed in front of a live audience sitcoms that I didn't need to watch because I think it's so special. And you actually really hit the nail on the head last week when you were talking to Emily about how, um, in some ways, the show is so familiar. And so regressive with its, you know, production and its style. But in other ways, it is so progressive, like case in point, having a story about a transgender teen. And I think you're to- what you said last week was that, like, that is very purposeful. Like, this is a comfortable environment in which people can, like, be introduced to new scary topics, but in a in a way that's familiar with them. And in a way, I mean, this is the highest compliment. It's going to sound like an insult, but it almost reminds me of Full House, uh-huh. where every week you're going to, like, learn a lesson and honestly, those lessons do help. You know, like there was an episode of Full House with DJ having body issues and sure, it's incredibly didactic, but that is an episode that's going to help young girls. And, you know, Carmichael show, thankfully, is is much funnier than Full House. But I do think that there's an element of, OK, we are going to talk about um, being transgender and what that means and the fact that it is OK to not immediately get it and be comfortable with it if you are willing to still support and be empathetic to the people that are going through this. Like that to me is such a progressive me- uh, message. And so often we hear, you know, I feel like we're in a culture where we're like, you must immediately accept everything that's changing, like accept it now. And if you don't accept it, you're a bad person. And I feel like Carmichael show is, is really trying to say like, it's okay to struggle with these things. Just don't be a jerk while you're struggling with them. And that. I don't know. It's so powerful. And and yeah, I'm just I'm really thrilled with this show and the fact that it exists. Well, and the amount of respect it gives to especially the parent characters, the old the elder generation who tend Mm -hmm. to be the voice of that. In this episode, Mm -hmm. it was also Gerard who who (sighs) hears I'm transgender and drives away for two hours, (laughs) (laughs) which was great. It's so great to have a flawed 
yeah. need because it would be so I agree it's so easy to like just make the older generation the ones that don't understand and the young people are hip with it but to have Gerard struggle with it was again like one of the more powerful aspects of this episode I think definitely and again it, it like you said it respects that that voice of I don't get it um, but I think what was one of the most important things they had the character say in that conversation with the t- with with Jordan at the end was, "I know this is a real thing. I believe you. Mm-hmm. It sounds like I don't understand that this is a real thing. I'm just and so and so to have that, like you said, to add that that layer of of shading and nuance to the reaction, so it's not just vehemently opposed or I don't believe it or fully supportive. It's just like this. I'm going to need to figure this out. We'll." I'm trying and, and, and highlighting the importance of trying. And I also think when we talk about the, the elder generation, like it's, it's such a silly comparison, but I think the phone comparison is a really good one where there's like, this is Mm -hmm. a huge change for a lot of people, not even understanding the concept of transgender. And, and so when they give what feels like such a, that's such a parent or grandparent Mm -hmm. kind of analogy, it's like, it's not like phones. This is someone's life, but when they talk about the, all the different st- steps and phases and everything of transitioning from a a rotary phone to a cell phone, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, they go, well, I guess I got used to the idea of what gay meant. And now there's this whole other, like, there aren't steps, you know, in that. Um, I thought it was a respectful way to talk about that. And, and um while also feeling true to the characters and to their mm-hmm. background. Um, and the other thing that I would also say with Kale, I also really liked the way that that one dealt with with food. And, and I had talked previously a little bit about how it dealt with the socioeconomic element of eating health, healthfully. But I also, upon like thinking about it a little bit more this week, I really liked the way that it talks about choice and mm-hmm. and 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 body shaming and and food shame like health shaming it's like if i'm if you choose if i'm going to choose to eat stuff that i know is really bad for me but that that is my choice and that's that's mm-hmm. how i want to live my life and to to disrespect someone or or discount their to to take away that choice from them um because you know better or because it was it's the healthier option um to to remove the personhood from someone who's making a choice that you disagree with um is just as is just as wrong and so that was an interesting conversation to be had around what was going on in kale as well i thought i think it's only been four episodes but i think the family dynamics have have just gelled so much more than they did in the pilot like this just really feels like a real family in a lot of ways you know like i can relate to this with my family experiences um uh, yeah, so I think that that was really well highlighted in Kay. Like the father-son stuff I thought was really sweet and actually worked really well. Uh, I really I really like David Allen Greer on this show. I think he's doing really nice work. Like he can go from the broad, broad sitcom thing to something that's a little more grounded and real. Also, uh, there's a line in gender that Jarrah said at, says at the end that I don't have to get it 100% to support you 100%. And I'm mm-hmm. like, let's put that line on like every t-shirt, every bumper yep. sticker. Like what a great way to sum this up. And you know, I think it would have been very easy for this show um, with gender to to make this episode just about this kid being gay. Like, we're still in an era where I feel like a lot of sitcoms are are kind of treating being gay like, oh, it's still something people are uncomfortable with. And it was so smart of the show to identify that we have come so far with that movement and the idea that um, Cynthia and Joe are so comfortable with people being gay and that trans is really, you know, at the forefront of what we're talking about now. Like, that, it is, it's topical to such 
to such a degree, like topical to with conversations we're having literally this month. So, so yeah, um, both with kale, which I think gets the family stuff right and gender with, which gets the sort of issue stuff right. Like really, really solid work from Carmichael show this week. Yeah. It's weird. Um, it's such a, it's such a better show than the pilot. Mm-hmm. made it out to be um and this is one of those like i said previously on the, a couple weeks ago on the podcast i watched the first episode and went i mean it's fine yeah yeah uh, and i'm so glad to be wrong that it's so much it's interested in so much more and there's only two more episodes of this show there need to be more episodes of the show so we're gonna keep shouting about it basically listeners uh until hopefully enough people check it out that they give it another summer renewal because yeah, what else are they gonna hope. put on over the summer i mean Come on. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> what wins your week in comedy? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm going to say, maybe I will say Carmichael show just because mainly a little bit because I think Gerard Carmichael is the most low key charismatic performer that I have ever seen. Like it's hard to point to what he's doing. That's so appealing, but like I could just watch this guy forever. Like he has, he has that like it factor. And I hope that even if Carmichael show isn't renewed that it that he lands somewhere well after this because he definitely deserves it and i should have mentioned this earlier but i noticed that this episode the the gender uh of carmichael was directed by betsy thomas who i'm a fan of from her show my boys which is also such a laid-back and and chill show so i wonder if there's some connection there with who they're choosing to work with so uh, but I'm going to give it to you're the worst because I love you're the worst. And I, I, I really like Carmichael show and I respect it and I think it's doing great things. Uh, but but I'm still going to give it to you're the worst. So, yeah, there it goes. <laughs> it's a solid choice. I can't argue with that. <laughs> now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our week in reality and drama. in reality and drama i'm going to talk a little bit about the narcos uh pilot or first episode uh as well as we'll both talk about i am kate what's in a name and then we'll talk about the mr robot finale zero day uh but first up i said last week that i would check in with narcos and i watched the first episode and i was not impressed um or interested uh i doubt that i will make time to watch the rest now i i just got i literally like just got done saying about how i watched only the first episode of carmichael show and gave a judgment (laughs) and then regretted it but i'm apparently gonna do the same thing again here uh like i was talking we were talking a little bit uh before we started recording caroline and you said that you've heard it gets better narcos as it continues yeah sonia soraya uh formerly the club now salon wrote a a really great piece about um really just how good the show is and she said the exact same thing like she said there are significant flaws and they all happen in like the first two or three episodes and so it's like really unfortunate because it really turns a lot of people off but but she ended up like really raving about the show so that made me more interested but i agree like it just is not fun to watch 
three bad episodes. And then, you know, that's a lot of time to invest to be like, watch four hours of this three to four hours of this before you'll enjoy it. Like, that's a lot to ask of people. So I do understand. I don't know why that's something people don't want to do. But I might be willing to check it out at some point myself. Yeah, the people the what people have been saying that I most immediately keyed into is, damn, there's a lot of voiceover and it's not good voiceover. It's retready, tired. Um, you've seen this before, voiceover, and when you already have a topic, uh, Pablo Escobar and the drug trade, um, that has been the subject of many a film, uh, or or documentary or 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 episode of TV, uh that's not a good place to be starting from. So yeah, it this did not feel like something I needed to be watching or, or set aside time for. Uh, but like you said, it has gotten praise elsewhere. I may jump ahead a few episodes and see if I can do that. Um, I, but I, I feel like what I keep comparing some of these things to is before I watch more Orange is the New Black, a show that I really like and respect and whose first episode of the season I really liked, should I watch more Narcos? And I, mm-hmm. uh, no, is what yeah. I keep coming back to. So um, we'll see. We'll see what I make time for this week. But I did watch the first episode, and there are some interesting things. I like that it is just subtitled, and we don't have people randomly speaking English just because. Uh, I hope that that can become more and more a thing, um, you know, like they've been doing on The Americans since it started, and uh, some other shows as well. But uh yeah, I was hoping for more from this pilot to make me want to set aside time, but uh, but I, I watched it. We'll see what happens. More more in this space if I come up with more. <laughs> <laughs> you can force yourself to watch more. Yeah. Let's move on to our next show, which is I Am Kate. And this is one that I have not been uh, watching or checking out, but, but you recommended, and I'm so glad that you did. I watched the second and third episode, which is the road mm-hmm. trip one that you recommended. And then this week's episode, what's in a name, uh, which is centered, centered around, it was filmed during the lead up to and fallout of the Espies. Um, mm-hmm. when Caitlyn Jenner went on to, to accept the, some ash, something yeah, ash I think award it's for something ash or yeah. Hero yeah. award. Yeah. Yeah. Courage, something like that. An award at the Espies. Like we said, we're not sports people. <laughs> was the one the speech like went viral people yeah. know what it was it was a big deal um i did not even realize this was an hour-long show mm-hmm. i was i was so i was very surprised by this show essentially at least fe- to me feeling like checker privilege 101 yes 100 percent. i might be exaggerating a little bit but i think i am kate might be the most important tv show on television right now. Um, and I mean, this has been a running theme now about pilots not being so great. The I Am Kate pilot, it's a fine episode, but it is atypical for the show in that it focuses most specifically on Caitlin herself. And at the end, she does a little bit of outreach with um, the family of a trans teen who, I can't remember if it's a if it's a, a guy or a girl, but has killed themselves. Um, and Caitlin goes and, and speaks with the family. And but in a way that that episode was most specifically about Caitlin. And that was also the episode that critics reviewed. And so most people reviewed it and said, like, you know, interesting show. You know, if you want to learn more about Caitlin, watch this show. But the immediately after that, in episodes two and three, the show was basically like, hey, let's educate the world, not just on what it means to be transgender, but like, let's talk about how class plays into this and that if you are rich, you can afford to have the surgeries that will make you um, explicitly feminine looking and you will not have to struggle with um, just facing discrimination in the way that you would if you are 
a trans person from a lower socioeconomic background. And let's talk about the fact that um, that that Kate is so new to this community. And as much as she is like a wonderful public face, there are people who have just been fighting for these issues for their whole lives and uh, and that she is so new. And and Kate herself is so wonderfully humble about these things. And, you know, I don't know if, if this move to sort of make this show an educational platform, I don't know how much is coming from her specifically or from E, the show presents it as coming from her. And I'm kind of inclined to believe them. And and there is sort of just this this humble way of her often saying, like, I don't know about a lot of these things. And when, when some of the, the trans women she's meeting sort of talk about the fact that they've had to... Um, uh, go into sex work in order to sort of just be able to support themselves because they aren't really able to get jobs. Like that is a shock to her. And the people around her are kind of like, Kate, like this is life for a lot of trans people. And, and you being shocked like this is exactly why you in some ways are a good face for this movement and in other ways like are not because you're so atypical in your experience and, and just the willingness to critique her is incredible like this show so easily could have just been about praising Kate and and, you know showing off her fun and glamorous life but but it and it does that occasionally but it's so much more about about critiquing her and really you know exploring the trans experience not just of a rich privileged woman but really from all walks of life and yeah I just can't say enough I wish that critics had kind of gone back and and reviewed the show more as it went on because I do think the season is so much stronger than that first episode was well and the the characters that they introduce the other trans women who become part of her circle it's just so fun to watch them just kind of like steering I don't want this. I hope this doesn't come off as offensive. Steering a baby trans like into her shepherding her through some of the the, where they're going. Okay, this is very cute and all. She's early days, so she's still all like happy about stuff, and then she'll like she'll start realizing the honeymoon period. Yeah, exactly. And talking about sort of their experiences and and what is it, Candace, who's been uh, Mm -hmm. who's been out and and transitioned and transitioning or whatever uh, for twenty years. Um, and, and you know, the difference in, in the experiences and everything. But I also really like how accepting uh, the show is very willing to condemn or uh, critique Kate and uh, her other uh, the other people around her when there's when they're saying uninformed things, basically. Mm-hmm. But it's also very uh, kind towards them as as well. Like this episode, we we see. Um, her sisters and her mom come in and her mom mm-hmm. is asking these questions yeah. of Shandy. And I'm like, that's personal stuff yeah. that you're asking. But it's Shandy is totally cool about it and very open. And, you know, the mom and when the mom says, you know, I've got so much to learn just her at what 87 or something. Yeah, something like that. She's the fact that she wants to learn the show is keying into that and, and praising her for that. And I think that's an important message as well. It's a lot like the Carmichael show in the sense that that I am Kate is saying it is okay to not jump in and 100% understand these things immediately as long as, again, you are sort of supportive of them. And and I think that this latest episode we watched this week, it raises a lot of really interesting questions specifically about names and, and sort of the legality of your name and your gender that I think, you know, a lot of people just would not think about that. And and. And um, it it kicks off with Caitlin registering. I think she she's a member at a golf club. Uh, and she was a member there back when she was Bruce or known as Bruce. And so she's sort of filling out this form. And, and she's like, well, legally at this club, I'm Bruce. So maybe I should keep using the name Bruce. And which locker room do I use? And, 
you know, this is a conservative club and I've been here forever. Like, should I try to be use the men's room? And it's questions that I don't know. I, I feel like if other people were raising them, people would be like, well, don't ask those questions. Don't ask those questions. But the fact that it's Caitlin herself raising them is is really powerful. And then the show goes on to to say, you know, as much as it's it's troubling to try to pick out which name to use at a, you know, at a fancy golf club, it is even more troubling when you, again, are not this rich, powerful person and 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 you are dealing with you know, hiring discrimination or discrimination by the police. And Kate ends up going to um, a meeting of a bunch of trans youth who have been dealing with this sort of legal name change and, again, have been harassed by police because their gender, you know, they haven't legally changed their gender and name. So when the police look at their ID, they immediately know that they're trans. And then that kind of opens up just a way for them to sort of be insulted or bullied. And, and the same thing with your job. And um, then there's another scene where where someone comes, like an activist comes and really just talks Kate through like the 18 pages of paperwork you have to do to change your name and gender. And even pointing out that these 18 pages are in the like the most liberal state. They're in California where these laws are the easiest they can be. So people in other states are going to go through so much more work. And I mean, that's the kind of thing that even, you know, I try to be pretty open and progressive, but I had never thought about how much work it must be to do all of this stuff. And so that's the show educating me. And I am very grateful that it did because I think that that's you know it's just important for people to understand that this is not just I'm changing my identity and I'm done and it's all good like this is such a process both emotionally and legally and I think it's also just the show is very intelligently structured because that you're you're watching because it's called I am Kate you're watching it for Caitlyn mm -hmm. Jenner and you're investing in her and you feel like you get to know her and you like her and maybe you know she's a little she's kind of terrible to Rhonda from time to time and you yeah. kind of invest in that kind of dynamic which the show takes advantage of and really uh, has fun with at times for drama um, mm. and, and so then it introduce can introduce this topic of the club and Rhonda saying, but you're Kate, though, so... And, like, she kind of talking about this, un, you know, lack of comfort that she has going by Kate at this place mm -hmm. where she's been Bruce for so long and she's worried that she... Basically, that she'll be excluded. And like, kind of introducing that concept before then blowing it up and and getting into the more political aspect of it. So it, 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 it kind of steps you through a process to get to the topic of discrimination in employment and discrimination um, or, or, or hassles that uh, trans, uh, tra transgender teens and adults have to deal with in just their daily lives when the, the people who aren't in a pretty gorgeous mm -hmm. house uh, with, you know, they can just have someone come in to pick up their clothes for them. And they have a famous friend who can walk them through the legal process of all of this. So it, it, it starts, it, it, I noticed this in the, the three episodes that I watched that where it introduces these ideas or these concepts mm -hmm. in a very kind of safe, very e-reality TV kind of way before then broaching it in a more politicized fashion. And I think that's very smart. And it does that with the other sort of big thing besides the SP Awards this episode is leading up to the meeting of Chris Jenner, who, of course, uh, Caitlin was married to for forever and they have two kids together. And this is the first time that they've met since Caitlin transitioned. So this is like a really big deal. Obviously, Chris is like a huge part of keeping up with the Kardashians. So this mm -hmm. is sort of like these two shows meeting. Um, but again, I think that the show does this in a really smart way where it doesn't just mind the drama of these two people meeting. It then uses that to speak about how difficult it is for the partners and families of people that transition and acknowledging like 
it's not a thing where, you know, your, your dad or your husband just says, you know, I'm, I'm a woman and you are immediately accepting of that, that it is sort of, as they put it, like a mourning period. Like it almost feels like the person you knew as Bruce died. And even though Caitlin is still here, like it's okay to really struggle with those feelings. And they have one of Caitlin's friends who um, has been married. So uh, transitioned to a woman was married um, for, I think like 15 years to another woman um, transitioned and now has been married for, for like another 20 years as wife and wife. Um, she just tweeted out like 15 years as husband, wife, 20 years as wife and wife, mm. whatever the years are. Um, and so that was sort of the rare situation where the partner was really able to fully accept the transition and fully accept the relationship as well. And obviously that's so tricky for so many people. And we don't get a lot of the meeting of Chris. This is sort of promote next week is the finale. So that's mm. going to be like the, the core of the finale is these two people meeting but even just seeing the beginning where Chris shows up and you know it's the first time seeing Caitlin as Caitlin and you know she's super sweet and there is an awkwardness there but you know she immediately is like I love your shoes like you look great and here's yeah. some cookies I brought you and it really captures both the the I don't know the, the sweetness and the awkwardness and it I don't know it's just such a, a good job of not presenting this as a thing that immediately everyone's okay with and we're all like yay Caitlin like no problems huzzah yeah. like it's acknowledging how tricky this stuff is. And that I think in in itself is very brave. Yeah. And again, the, I, I, I really liked the time that we spent with, I just keep calling her Jabo about Jenny, what Boylan, something like that. Yeah, I think so. And, and her wife. Uh, and I loved the, I would have liked even more time with the wife. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's the first time she, the wife has been on the show before. Okay. Um, so that was cool to see her. Yeah, and and I think having that touchstone and having uh, again putting instead of just having Jenny talk about this, having mm-hmm. her wife talk about this, I think is really important. And uh, yeah, I probably tune in for the finale mm-hmm. next week, and I would not have anticipated that. So thank you so much for for getting me to watch this show. Um, oh, I'm so happy. And listeners, you should also watch it because it's so good. It's really yeah. so good. Like I can't, I don't know, I just can't emphasize enough how awesome this show is. And and I wish it was receiving a little bit more attention in the press for really all the, the cool stuff it's doing. Just start with episode two. You'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, our last show this week is Mr. Robot Zero Day. Of course, this is the finale. And one of the first thoughts I had after watching it, uh, not even like during watching it was, oh, hell yeah, they made the right choice to delay it a week. <laughs> don't mm-hmm. all those people online complaining about it. Don't you feel silly? Because I'm very glad they delayed it after after the 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 tragedy from last week. Um, so I'm glad that it was that we're talking about it this week and mm-hmm. not last week on the podcast. Um, what did you think of this approach of just jumping forward? Yeah. So the, I think the way I feel about this, I have a lot of conflicting thoughts, but I think I feel like this was an awesome television, eleva- uh, an awesome episode of television. But I'm not sure it was an awesome finale to the season we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it felt like it was. I don't know, a standalone piece that was more interested in starting sort of a new arc than it was completely dealing with all of the disparate threads that had been that had been going on throughout season one. And I think I can't decide if this is just me as a viewer responding this way. But what I realized is that throughout the season, obviously, this this big hack has been, you know, a major plot thread, but it just never occurred to me that they would actually go through with it, that something this 
you know, influential that, that that can change society in this way would actually happen within the world of the show because it has been so grounded in our reality. And and I guess I thought that more as a plot point in which to like explore all this cool character stuff that the show has been doing and all this like small scale hacking, which I've been really interested in. So the fact that we jump three days ahead, the hack has happened, like society is to some extent in shreds, like people cannot get their money out of the bank. Like this is this is the sort of like you know, thing that would in history books like forever change the world in some way going forward. And so once we're thrown into that world, because the stakes are so huge, I actually am immediately less interested in what's going on, like with Elliot and with Angela. I'm kind of like, okay, but like, what is happening in the world? Like, how are the leaders dealing with this? Don't just show me this Obama montage. Like, this is insane. This is life changing. And so in a way, it like almost made the stakes of the show feel smaller. But I am so interested in this idea of what happens if a revolution were to actually take place. And this debt is erased. But at the same time, like these companies can't access their money and, and sort of the whole structure with which we operate is gone and, and sort of like, what is the line between it was kind of naive to just think let's do this and everyone will be free versus what is the reality of like a lot of people are going to suffer for this choice, both the people at the corporate level, but I'm assuming also the people at the lower level who are sort of influenced by this as well. And so that was so interesting to me and so brave for the show to go forward with it. But at the same time, I, I feel like now looking back at the season, I'm like, well, why did I care about, you know, that weird prison plot with Shayla? Like that feels like another thing. Why did I care about this? you know, uh, going through withdrawal or all the various stuff Angela went through or that whole arc with her and her boyfriend where they were, are we going to put this CD in the office? <laughs> like, I don't care about any of that stuff now. I care about this society shifting. And again, maybe that's just what I'm, you know, interested in as a person. And so that's not really fair to to hold up to the show. But yeah, I I both liked this episode and had some problems with it. But yeah, I'm curious to hear what your response was. I feel like this was a, a kind of divisive episode. Yeah, I, I thought that the season of Mr. Robot has been really strong. Mm -hmm. um, every time it gets mentioned as the best show of the summer, I just raise a quizzical eyebrow because, I mean, even if you don't, if one doesn't love Hannibal the way that I do, despite mm -hmm. having many issues with the finale, uh, uh, guys, rectify it's like right there. It's like right there. Amazing, beautiful, all nearly perfect show. Uh, so it's to me as great as the season of Mr. Robot has been. It's nowhere near the level that I feel like it's been just getting all of this praise. Um, it's a really interesting show. It's doing a lot of really mm -hmm. great stuff, but it could still get better. It could still work on, on some things. And uh, I look forward to like it hasn't made the leap yet. I look forward to watching it make the leap and then be able... So I, I just feel the need to kind of tamp down expectations for people who haven't seen it yet and just keep hearing all of this amazing stuff. It's a, it's a really good show. It's a really interesting show. But there is better TV out there. Um, and so don't go in expecting the second coming of Sopranos or Mad Men or something. <laughs> um, so this finale, yeah, it, it felt like an interesting episode of television. It does feel very disconnected from what we've already seen. Um, and so I just was left after seeing it as sort of like, I really like that season of television. I don't know how I feel about the finale, um, but I still really like that season of television. So mm -hmm. I, I agree that having that having the world start to just be irreparably shifted like this, the way that we what we're seeing in this episode immediately just like, well, I can't care about. Yeah. This stuff's like, like the, sh the episode really wants you to care about the missing three days. As like, yeah. okay, I get that you want me to care about the missing three days, but first of all, I don't really care if he killed Tyrell at all. 
because he's a terrible person. Uh, I don't really care what how everything happened. It happened, and the the fallout of what's happened is so potentially fascinating or mm-hmm. problematic or anything that I, I mean finding out how or why it doesn't matter at this point yeah. at least to me so because the finale cares so much about how because it's all from Elliot's perspective and he's so desperate to find out what happened in those three days um yeah there was a, for me an inherent disconnect between my experience and Elliot's experience uh, mm-hmm. of, of the events and that is not what the show has been going for previously also I was a bit puzzled by Elliot's concern that he was doing that maybe this, I shouldn't have done this. What did I do? What did I do? How could he have anticipated anything other than what happens happening? I don't understand how, how yeah. he wasn't, wouldn't have been ready to accept this consequence of what we see. Cause what we see makes sense. It's all very rational. It all sort of mm-hmm. like is easily predictable given what he was attempting to accomplish. So if, if he wasn't on board for what we see in this episode, it's not like it goes Mad Max beyond Thunderdome, yeah. <laughs> you know, in three days. Like, it, it's very predictable fallout. So if he's yeah. not comfortable with that, then what was he doing in the first yeah. place? I do understand a little bit that that sense of, like, he's in such flux. Like, Elliot is in a really <laughs> crazy place. And going from thinking you are one of the team working on this hack to realizing that you are the one that instigated this in the first place, I do understand how that be a shock. I do understand how those missing three days, not knowing why, exactly why you chose to set it off then, would be would be sort of confusing or overwhelming. But I totally agree with your point that those three days are not interesting to me. Like, I don't care. And the points of this episode that move beyond those, I think, are the ones I'm most interested in. So watching how Angela deals with the fallout, like, immediately after she gets this evil court job or corp job, she has to sort of, the whole world falls apart. And she obviously wasn't anticipating that. Watching how Darlene and the rest of F-Society sort of go up with the cleanup, I thought that was really clever and smart and sort of her philosophy on these changes. But I agree that Elliot is the one that feels most off here. And I mean, it is a little, you know, obviously they're setting up this mystery of what happened to Tyrell and that's going to lead into season two. But it is so weird. Tyrell has been such a major character in this season. So for him to just disappear, I mean, I guess it's an interesting mystery, but like I kind of wanted some sort of resolution with that character. And I'm not sure leaving it this open-ended is is super satisfying. Like, for him to not be here, like, on the one hand, it led to the great scene between Elliot and Tyrell's wife, which I thought was was a highlight of the episode. But on the other hand, like, I just want a little more closure. And, and I agree with your point that, that if Elliot had been dealing with the fallout of this rather than the, than the missing three days, I think the episode as a whole would have been a lot stronger. And I was good uh, not seeing Tyrell in that time. I Like you say, he does give us that really great scene. Um, but then again, because so much of this season has been interested in, or gearing towards the reveal and the twists of the mm-hmm. sister and Mr. Robot as well. And, uh, that, that brief scene we get with Tyrell and Mr. Robot, uh, a couple of weeks ago was so like, that was huge. All of a sudden mm-hmm. that like recontextualized so much of the season and the show was interested in those shocks and those twists. Um, there are a lot there's a lot we haven't been seeing there's Mm -hmm. a whole dynamic between those two characters that we don't know anything about and so i couldn't be as invested in that connection between those two characters because so i know so much of it is outside of my knowledge base and also elliot's knowledge base because it's mr robot's knowledge base um so so it was hard for me to really follow or, or be as invested in that as i should have been 
Um, and that's just sort of the inherent limitation of the approach of giving it all from Elliot's point of view when he's not fully in control a mm-hmm. lot of the time. So, I mean, that's just a con that's going to come with so many pros of having the show be so from so very from Elliot's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked what we got, the stuff we got with Angela. Uh, yeah. The shoes, the shoe shopping scene. How great was it's that? Really great. Really great. Although I was really questioning that that salesman sort of sales ability. I feel like salesman 101 is like, don't criticize the career choices of the people that you're uh, selling to. But yeah, it was a, it was a really great scene. And Angela has really emerged as a really cool character to me. Like I really have been enjoying her, her arc. It actually reminds me a little bit of, of Karen Page's arc on daredevil. Like there's an element of like, I'm the sort of young girl who seems naive and then has an inner toughness, but, but it's been really enjoyable to watch that unfold. And this shoe scene was, was really cool. And her scenes with um, Philip Price too. Like I thought that that, that dynamic and, and the, um, I don't know, like, is she, what's the borderline between like selling your soul and, and changing things from the inside, I think has been a really, a really cool thing to explore with Angela. Now, is that the Michael Christopher character? Yeah, that's the Evil Corp. Uh, yeah, Evil Corp guy. Yeah, he's still, CEO. much like our, our yeah. friends over at uh, Talking TV with Ryan Ryan, um, O'Ryan Ryan McGee, he's just Spangler to me. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so I, I wasn't sure who you were talking about at first. But yeah, I, I did like those scenes quite a bit. And even just the 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 visual and the, the imagery of, like, the, the Nazis and the Evil Corp, like... This was the first episode where we had scenes that weren't from Elliot's perspective because mm-hmm. we get Ecor and not Evil Core showing oh, up. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I thought that was because, of course, he couldn't be experiencing what Angela's mm-hmm. experiencing there. So that is the first that that choice to follow her into this like Sanctum Sanctorum removes the the part of the show that had been so key of having it all be Elliot's point of view. And I'm very glad they did because I'm very, mm-hmm. like you said, I think Angela is a really interesting character. Uh, so I've really liked what they've been doing with her in the last few episodes, particularly, but uh, yeah, but like you said, it's very disconnected from what we've had the rest of the season. Um, and I would, I mean, I almost think I would have liked better a um, new Caprica style three days later jump. Yeah, uh, and ending ending with like half of the episode kind of showing a confused, and then having this episode be more the season premiere. But yeah. um, but I'm not here to review a show that I would have yeah. <laughs> liked to have maybe seen, but the show that we actually did see, and um, again the performances are really strong. I didn't really connect to these uh, Christian Slater like rant thing mm-hmm. the way that some other people seem to have connected to it. Um, so. You know, maybe that's part of why I'm more lukewarm mm-hmm. on this as a specific episode. But I did like, you know, they, they make explicit the the rules of Mr. Robot, which I think is good and necessary. And um, I like that they do confirm that uh, the, the that the that Elliot is not just white and played by a person of Egyptian descent, yeah. that he yeah. is biracial. Uh, I thought I like you know like little things like that I, I enjoyed and um and and the plan to have the party I thought was brilliant so simple really brilliant yeah yeah it's such a good call um so I I you know I'm I'm definitely gonna be looking forward to season two of Mr Robot and it's such a confident and such an interesting first season um uh, but I'm not over the moon about the the finale it's just another it's an interesting episode and uh, one that I enjoyed but not necessarily one that. Uh, I will be talking about his great season one finales of all time. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I do like, I do think a lot of this is set up for season two, so I can enjoy that aspect of it. I like that it clarified sort of how Mr. Robot can still be a part of the show, even though Elliot is now self-aware. And I did like the moment where in order to sort of trick Mr. Robot to show up, he's about to call 911 and turn himself in. I thought that was a really nice conceit. And I also appreciated the rules being clarified. I almost wanted the show to go back and the way that they showed Elliot jumping off the pier himself. I wanted like more flashbacks to how this season had sort of had worked with the, you know, fake Mr. Robot. Cause honestly, I'm probably not going to go back and rewatch the whole thing now that I know. So I would have appreciated <laughs> the show being like, here's what was really happening during this scene. But I did like how we clarified how he worked. And I think his presence on the show is obviously such a different thing now. Like he, what he represents is so different. And so I appreciated that part of the Times Square scene. I think that the visuals on the show are always something to recommend it. And so that alone I thought the Times Square scene was really cool, like just the way the way it was shot and the use of that space and seeing Times Square totally empty was appropriately eerie. Um, obviously, we have a lot of setup both for season two, both with Elliot answering the door, who knows what's there, and then the the post credit scene with White Rose meeting with Philip Price like raises a lot of questions. I I always worry with shows like these if they're sort of lost style, just like raising too many questions that they'll never answer right now. They're, they're still in the clear, like they haven't done that yet, but I, I do always get nervous about that. Um, but I agree, not an all time great finale. I think I may be a little bit higher on the show than you are. Um, and regardless, I, I am excited to see what they do in season two. Now, am I the only one who thinks it's very possible that Elliot didn't do any of this and this is all white rose? Oh, interesting. Or all like Tyrell in some weird way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that White Rose has this tie to Evil Corp is interesting. That was maybe the part of the episode where I'm like, oh, I'm not quite as invested in this mythology as I think the show wants me to be. And I'm sure a ton of people are. So that's it's not mm-hmm. really complaining. It's the show. That's just my viewing experience. Um, but yeah, I definitely think it's it's one of those things where we it's almost like when someone dies, and you don't see the body like they're probably yeah. coming back. Like the fact that we didn't see Elliot activate this hack definitely raises a lot of questions about whether or not it was someone else there's obviously like so many fan theories about this show a lot of people think Tyrell is like another sort of aspect of Elliot Mr. Robot style I saw one rumor that maybe Shayla didn't actually die and that was all some kind of weird fantasy dream sequence and that she's the one knocking at the end like it is a really fun show to speculate about so so I guess it's good that they raise a lot of questions and and fans can spend a lot of time (laughs) speculating on them yeah, whenever a show like this presents something so repeatedly as fact, it makes me question it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, as you know, you will know in, in uh, the Doctor Who episode where uh, Amy's choice, where they have to choose between the two realities. Mm-hmm. You, and because they keep presenting it so strongly, you must choose between yeah. one of these two. You're like, mm, wait a second. So the way that yeah. the, the episode kept going, F Society did this. Taking credit, F Society. Lots of people want to do it. How did F Society? Like, it's like... You're, I feel like you're trying a little bit too hard to make sure yeah. I don't question that F since I did it in the first place. So we'll see. We'll see. That'll be a fun thing to discover with next season. I did really like seeing B.D. Wong to show up at the end yeah. in, in the tag was really fun. But yeah, no, I'm glad that, that, that you liked it. And I'm also glad that I'm not the only one who um, wasn't completely bowled over while still liking it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a good way to put it. And And in a way, like, Well, in a weird way, like it was my least favorite and favorite episode of the season in the sense that like I was so interested in this idea of revolution. And and really, I think the show has been so interested in exploring the way these characters are both really smart and powerful and also incredibly naive. And I think Darlene really encapsulates that well. Like 
it is so impressive her desire to just like mess up society but it's also so naive to be like i'm just gonna mess with you and then you're gonna like everybody's gonna be fine and i feel like the show's really willing to sort of deal with both of those realities and so going mm-hmm. through with this hack and like I am excited to see in season two, like, is this going to be a thing where the people lowest on the totem pole are the ones that get screwed over? Or is this a thing where we actually do sort of topple society? So I am really interested in what this episode is raising. I just wish it had been connected to the rest of the season a little bit more strongly. Yeah, fair enough. Well, what wins your week in not comedy? Mm, interesting. Well, we I guess I'll do the since I am championing, I am Kate. I'm going to I'm going to give a shout out to that one just because I really want more people to watch it. I think it's doing such incredible things, uh, both educationally and entertaining. So I will, I will give I am Kate my my props this week. And I'll, I'll split the vote. I'll give it to Mr. Robot's finale, though it was it's a lot closer than I think most people would anticipate if yeah. they saw those two <laughs> shows. Um, it's pretty much a toss up for me, but I, I will give it to to the Mr. Robot finale. Um, yeah, it, and again, I may not be over the moon about this finale, but it's interesting and it's a show that that i'm so glad to have spent time with i'm very glad that usa took a chance with and and Uh, renewed despite nobody watching it um and hopefully it'll it'll gain a much stronger base before the next season and such props to rami malik for his performance like it really makes the show in a way that like tatiana maslany makes orphan black like he is reason enough to recommend this and whatever the show does to him like i'm always going to enjoy watching him respond to it so so major props to him like breakout star i'm so glad he found something that that works so well for him absolutely uh well now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our dvd shelf this week talking about bb oh bbc's party animals mm-hmm. yep yeah we'll be right yes. back after this specifically those young offenders that have in the past been made the subject of, of Asbo's antisocial behavior orders this policy recognizes that tackling crime and is not just about punishment. punishment education is also crucial and, and that is why we intend to bring in a new system whereby young people who observe the terms of their Asbo will be entitled to what entitled to a good good behavior, behavior bond this is a one-off payment which will be contingent on attendance at a recognized edu- okay James the costings it's not hard with the costings. She explained to me why a very similar idea was thrown out by her own chancellor only last year for being too expensive. Get to the delinquency bribe. It's not a good behaviour bond, but a delinquency bribe rewarding criminal behaviour. I'm sorry, I'm struggling to understand why my right honourable friend is having... Don't so let her get up. Expenditure of £10 million with an estimated take-up rate of 15%. Go on, James, finish her off. Are these figures correct? Question two, do they represent value for money? Have they got those figures? Um, well, value for money um, is, is involved in keeping our young offenders oh, out of prison. By, by paying them. Yeah. Yeah. This is a total f***ing cockroach. This week at the DVD shelf, we're back with Caroline Sita of the AV Club and also debating Doctor Who, which is I feel like is an important thing to mention because this week at the DVD shelf, we're talking about a one-season show from the UK, Party Animals, that stars Matt Smith. He's a he's a, a charmer. This was his, uh, I think, his biggest role pre-Doctor Who, uh, which is actually how I discovered it. You know, he's a, he's a charming guy. Always got to find more of his work. Well, what made you want to talk about the show? How did you? So you just said you discovered it because of, of Matt Smith. Uh, what made you want to talk about it this week? 
Yeah, so this is a show that I would anticipate no American viewer or listeners have heard of, and probably very few British have heard of either. Uh, it was not like a major success by by any means, as you mentioned. It's just one season, only eight episodes. Um, so yeah, I found this through Matt Smith. It was on the shows on Netflix for a while, uh, and just searching his name, it came up. It's it's currently uh, off Netflix, but it's all all on Hulu for free. So for people looking to find it, that is a good place. Um, to be able to watch it. So um, I went into the show for Matt Smith and I came out like he gives a fine performance, but I think that there's so much to recommend beyond that. Uh, This is a show that follows these sort of lower level, younger researchers and lobbyists in the British government. So we have a divide between the labor and the Tory, AKA the liberals and the conservatives. Um, I would describe it as a, a sort of Grey's Anatomy in tone in that about half of the show is about these people doing very noble work, like kind of high stakes work. And the other half is just like beautiful people getting drunk and hooking up with each other. Uh, There's obviously a lot of sort of West Wingy vibe in the sense that it is uh, about sort of the political system. And you have characters who are very cynical and characters who are very optimistic. You have a really good sort of blend of that. So uh, the reason I wanted to highlight it this week is because I think it's such an undiscovered gem. It's such an easy watch. It's so enjoyable. It's so short. So I'm always trying to point people to it um, because if you're into this slightly soapy um, but still intelligent kind of thing, I think that this is such a good one to watch. And and there's two things about the show that I love and want to highlight. One is um, one of my all-time favorite uh, female characters, Ashika Chandramani, who is one of the members of the conservative Tory party here. And she just gets such a cool arc over this season. Like she, she starts out as an assistant to one of the conservative MPs and then sort of uh, she's having an affair with him. And so it's dealing both with her personal life and sort of her political career. Uh, And I think that that is really great overall. The show has some really interesting, really flawed, really unlikable female characters, which is always something I look for. Another thing to recommend it is Andrew Buchan, who plays Scott Foster, Danny's brother. And he is a lobbyist, so the far more cynical one. Uh, And their father was a a liberal MP. And so it's a lot about their relationship. And I think that, I don't know, this just seems like one of the most realistic and best brother dynamics I've ever seen in a TV show. The way they fight, the way they make up, the way that you just sense that there's always love between them, even in their worst fight. And they're sort of how physically comfortable they are and how funny they are with each other. I think that that is just so fantastic. So, so yeah, um... I always like introducing this this show to people, and I am very curious to hear your thoughts, Kate, because I, I don't get a chance to talk about the show a lot with people. So were you as won over by it as I am? I was, yes, I enjoyed, not as much as you are. I enjoyed it quite <laughs> a bit, so yes and no. Um, yeah. When we get to the soapier, more Grey's mm-hmm. Anatomy kind of elements, I was like, oh, guys... Yeah. Because I, I'm more, I'm so much more interested in other elements of the show and the political side of it and the relationships, the brother relationship, like you say. I love that at the end of the series, you, you can see them sort of setting up these different love interests for the mm-hmm. for the brothers. But I, I really love that at the end of the show, they don't come back to that. They come back to the sibling relationship yeah. and they leave these other relationships more unresolved as a potential if they get a second series they'll look into them but if not what really matters is this brother relationship so Mm -hmm. i really love the way that they prioritize that um but also um so what when basically i don't care about kirsty at all oh interesting at all and i'm guessing that's who you're referencing uh, but also maybe joe as these very flawed uh female Mm -hmm. characters but um i don't get what he sees in her mm-hmm. at all 
so therefore I have trouble investing in chunks of the season. Yeah. She's so much more interesting when she gets fleshed out and she is more flawed and she like when she hooks up with his brother and um mm-hmm. and is like is allowed to be this, you know, revealed to not be this pedestaled person that that yeah. he thought she was, that Danny thought she was. That is so much more interesting. But the fact then that that doesn't seem to change his relationship to her or his thoughts about her at all was yeah difficult for me as a viewer yeah uh so Christy is the she also works for this in the same office as danny she's sort of the intern but they're similar ages um uh for this member of parliament named joe porter and uh Christy's played by andrea riseborough who's probably like second or third most famous person that's in this show she was like in birdman she was in that tom cruise movie she's gonna be in the upcoming crow remake so she's like doing more and more stuff she's gonna um, be um on the next season of bloodline as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, so she's interesting. It is a really sort of abrasive character. And Danny, who is just the ultimate, like, he's kind of like Jim from The Office or Josh Lyman on West Wing, just like really idealistic, schlubby, lovable, nerdy guy, and is just in love with Kirsty. She doesn't really care for him, but occasionally will sort of use his affection to her advantage. Um, I know what you mean. She She doesn't always work as well as she should like I do appreciate that she's unlikable and weird and I do understand that sometimes I don't know you just have a crush on someone and you are able to excuse all of their behavior um I don't think that relationship is anywhere near as interesting as the brother relationship so I do agree that it's it's not the strongest aspect of the show I think once I think as you get later into the season and you see more of Kirstie's vulnerabilities and she sort of you get this dynamic with Danny being in love with her and she hooked up with Scott once and we sort of see all that play out. It is more interesting. Um, she is definitely like would be on the lower tier of things I'm interested in the show. Mm-hmm. So I agree with that. Yeah. But I really did like so much else of what was going on. And Ashika's just delightful. She's so cool. She's great. I love her. And I love that, you know, the show for me really kicks into another gear when Scott, goes up north to join in that mm-hmm. campaign and that's yeah. when things really that's the show finding itself i i would say there, there's some interesting stuff when he's you know conflicted as a lobbyist um but yeah when we get sort of it feels like a really interesting look at these characters mm-hmm. and and this world and then we get like the soapier elements of the friend the, what you know the thing that happens at the end of the the yeah. first episode which i'm gonna leave vague um feels more heightened because it is. Um, and then when we get into some of these different um, soapier elements to the relationships and the capital D drama, I was less invested in that because I kind of just want to see the show about these people without mm-hmm. extra melodrama added in. As much as I mm-hmm. do love that genre, um, one of these days we'll talk Grey's Anatomy on here and we'll have fun. <laughs> It'll be great. Um, but again, this is not my job is not to describe a show I would rather this would be but to review the one I actually watched mm-hmm. and I did end up having a lot of fun with it and really investing in these characters I thought that uh you know I really liked how they handled everything with Joe the the progression mm-hmm. of her position and her relationship with her husband and her family it was really interesting the, they go a different they set up some things you are expecting with uh maybe getting a little over dependent on mm-hmm. alcohol definitely getting over dependent on alcohol and and the way that that is treated and the way that she interacts with Danny and Kirsty, but specifically her relationship with Danny, I think 
works really well and it's very interesting um they go a few ways with these relationships that you aren't expecting and i really like that i really like that they do that they also again feel very honed into who these characters are mm-hmm. and that remains consistent through uh through the whole series i like that with ashika you're almost immediately rooting for these crazy kids to make it work with her and Scott. But I like that they don't devalue her relationship with her boss Mm -hmm. um, as much as we want her, the show to it's, it's an important relationship to her. So they give it the weight it needs. Honestly, I feel like Ashika and Matt are probably like, I I do like the brothers the best, I guess, but they're right up there. And like everybody else is so far down, like maybe Joe, but then everybody else, I don't really care about them anywhere near as much. Cause I did really like Ashika and I really liked her, her friendship with Matt um, Mm -hmm. and how that, that played out over the series. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I think most shows would, would embrace the, the soapy melodrama and sort of dumb down the intelligence Mm -hmm. or embrace the intelligence and make the drama more realistic. But this show's like, we are going full throttle in both directions. Cause there are really a lot of smart political things here and, Mm -hmm. and a lot of nice little twists. Like we have the, the two main members of the conservative, we see the conservative researchers and it's Ashika who is of Indian descent and Matt who's gay, which are not the immediate demographics you think when you think a conservative party. And then the liberal, the liberal examples of, of political people are um, are Danny and Scott, who are like these white guys. So I just yeah. feel like it's a nice little reversal there, and and they do kind of explore like why Matt and Ashika are interested in this party, and and it gets to these these cool political questions. But you're right, it really you know this is not realistic relationship drama by any means. This is like full on soap opera. Um, so I can really get behind that tone uh, because I like both of those things, but I can see it is a little. It is a little weird that they're mashed up in the way they are. But I think you're right that they get the characters right really from the get-go. These feel like really lived-in people, which I really appreciate. And I think as crazy as the drama gets, the performers keep it really grounded, which I really appreciate. Like, I think with a different cast, the show really could have gone off the rails. But it feels like everyone really knows what they're doing. And so... That, I think, is what is what I would really recommend it for as well. Yeah, it's a fun show. And again, it's... It's a UK show. There are eight episodes or eight, yeah. like 40-ish, 45-minute long episodes, and uh, they're they're fun. So, And again, like you said, they're free on Hulu. And not like yeah. you need Hulu with commercials, but you can mm-hmm. watch all of them on Hulu for free. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it's an easy it's an easy show to just kind of binge over a weekend. It, you know, as you're preparing for uh, the return of, of Doctor Who, if you want to you know, have a little more Matt Smith in your life before we get back to Capaldi, then you can certainly watch this, this show. Um, yeah. Are there certain characters? Now you're more of a fan. Are there certain parts of the show that, uh, were less interesting to you? Um, that's a good question. I do think the, well, I guess I, I find things to like about all of it. Some of the relate, there are like a lot of couples in which there's like multiple components of it. Like you have Ashika mm-hmm. having the affair with her boss and she's interested in Scott, but Scott's also kind of hooking up with this journalist girl. And it feels that sometimes like the web gets a little too complicated and uh-huh. maybe streamlining there would be good. Um, I also wonder, so I'm just like really interested in British culture and history and, and politics and all that stuff. So I went in like with some very basic knowledge of how this political structure works, but I'm curious if you have that. And, and if regardless, if you think that that's like, 
how accessible this is for an American audience. Like I was watching the first episode with my sister yesterday and I realized like she is not invested in, in British culture as most people aren't. <laughs> and so like, she didn't even necessarily know, you know, like Tory and, and labor were not immediately like conservative and liberal to her. So like, I do wonder, do you feel like this, I don't know, do you need to have some sort of background in British culture to understand this? How, how easy was it you to, for you to jump into this world? Oh, I think they make it very easy to jump in. Um, and that's actually, I think it's very accessible. And, and the way that it starts with a bit of a debate um, mm-hmm. and cutting back and forth to the different researchers and supporters of the two central like MPs uh, that, mm-hmm. that we follow, I think really helps with that. So no, I, I, I'm not super familiar with Tory and, and, uh, and labor, but you get the sense of it just based on their interactions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, the Danny character, likes a little sarcasm so there's some there's some fun stuff there that you can have with with, he's he's not shy about his political beliefs whereas i like the way that the the show as ashika runs um you know in a a by-election up 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 in the north uh she doesn't actually have to really state any opinions for quite a Mm -hmm. a while and and when when she starts being forced to do that that's when i think the show gets really interesting where it really delves into these different political beliefs and having the characters support them i always love a show about people who are passionate about something Mm -hmm. um and that's you know that's why i really connected with with the political parts of this show and i think i think it helps if you know that stuff but if you don't if you're unfamiliar with it the show holds your hand enough Mm -hmm. that you can follow it without needing without feeling left behind but also without feeling pandered to Mm -hmm. okay that's good yeah i wasn't sure how that would play i like that it really humanizes both sides of this political debate. I think it's so easy to sort of to sort of pick one side and favor that as obviously the West Wing did. Like that's yeah. it's easy to fall into idealizing one political party, but I think that because there's such likable characters on both sides and non-likable characters on mm-hmm. on both sides, like it you really do it's like almost apolitical even though it's a political show. Like you can yeah. really relate to both of these arguments and again, I think it really helps sort of picking these these characters you wouldn't expect to be conservatives and putting them on the conservative side. If you're a person who, who maybe is not, not for conservative politics, it really makes you question that and shows you some unusual faces. So I think that that part is, is really smart. And that's the kind of stuff that's far smarter than the, the soapy melodrama that, that gets thrown in there too. Um, Yeah. So I, I really like that aspect of it. Yeah. And I also like the handling of the, the labor candidate that uh, mm-hmm. Scott ends up running the campaign for uh, because he is presented in one way very straightforwardly and then they do start shading him in and in, in a way that makes him feel again feel more human feel more lived in they do the same thing with Ashika's boss a little bit later I, I really like the last note that we leave him on mm-hmm. uh, that's much more interesting than maybe what what I would have expected so again I think this is uh you know I think it was a, it's a fun show. I'm a little surprised it didn't come back for a second series. I think they, there's yeah. so much more they could have done. I agree. I think that it, I don't know if it just didn't find an audience. Um, but yeah, I always, I always feel very comfortable recommending it to people because it is that perfect mix of easy watching. That's just intelligent enough that it'll kind of keep you hooked and, and get your brain working a little bit. But yeah, I'm kind of surprised it didn't come back as well. I guess that's, a good thing because that ultimately led to I'm assuming to Matt Smith like being available to audition for Doctor Who um so that's good but yeah it is it is surprising to me that it didn't catch on more I don't know why that was and of course the first thing I was as I began the first episode I was immediately reminded of the body politic which I don't know if you remember that was uh that pilot that was made um and eventually 
was theoretically going to get picked up by the CW about, I mean, it sounds very similar, about young yeah. uh, lobbyists and researchers in D.C. It had Jason Doring. It had a bunch of, like, right off of Veronica Mars. And it had a bunch of other really, I think, I want to say Gabrielle Union. I could be mm-hmm. super and completely wrong about that. But it had a, a bunch of really interesting cast. And then, and it's one of those like best pilots that never got picked up kind of shows that gets thrown around a lot because uh, basically at the time the CW wasn't that kind of network. Um, It's home would have really pretty much had to be at the CW of the the main networks because it was younger skewing and because of the, you know, CBS isn't going to put on a show like party animals. Um, But, uh, but they decided to go more than 90210 route in -hmm. those years. Um, and it was like a year or two after. So I was going to specifically ask if you knew if it was a, an intended remake or just like a similar concept. But um, if you're someone like me who has heard of the body to politic and would still like to find a copy of that pilot somewhere, since I have heard such interesting things about it, um, then then you definitely will be interested in, in this show and you should watch its first season. That's really cool. Yeah, I hadn't heard about that. I mean, it does. It is a it is a pretty. It's a concept I'm surprised hasn't caught on more. Like this mm-hmm. is this is such a thing we love, you know, young sexy people having drama and we love sort of political stuff. So I'm yeah, I'm really surprised it hasn't it hasn't been either remade or that this didn't catch on more because I do think there's just so much potential here and yeah, I'm just such a fan. I really like I really like Andrew Buchanan as Scott as well, I think or Buchan, maybe that's his name. I think that he he's really strong. I really enjoyed him on um on broad church as well. I don't know if he's done a ton of stuff. Like, I don't know how well known he is, but I think he comes across really well here as Scott. Like, I think he might actually be a a more interesting character than Danny. Who's a little bit more one note with his like puppy love optimistic thing. I think Scott gets some more, some more interesting things to play. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, he, he, he's a much more, and he's just a more developed person. You Mm -hmm. get the sense that Danny is like just fresh out of school and vim and vigor and, and, and all of that, the puppy dog analogy is very appropriate. Uh, so yeah, I think Scott has a little bit more going on, um, even if he does fall a little bit into that um, successful playboy kind of guy. But the right person shows up, and all of a sudden he's a changed man. Yeah, like, yeah. It falls into that a little bit, but it's a satisfying trope, people. This is why we like it. This is why tropes exist. Uh, and, yeah. they, and they have fun with it, too, I think. So um, yeah, the shippers out there, people who like the West Wing... Uh, but a little less preachy, uh, or yeah. a lot less preachy, I should say, a little bit more balanced. Um, I think would like the would like the show, or just like we said, fans of these actors. Um, mm-hmm. and I would like to see that actress who plays Ashika in in more things. Me Apparently, too. she was in Terra Nova. I oh, I sure. don't remember the show well enough to know. No, nor do I. But I'm looking uh, at her biography now. Yeah, she is is so strong on here, and I agree. I wish that she she got more to do. Oh yeah, Terra Nova. Yeah. Oh, she was on one episode of Twenty Four. Yeah. Let's what, make what's this her girl name? a star. What's the actress's uh, name? Shelley Kahn. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it, it's um, it's a fun show. I, I feel like I'm repeating myself, so maybe it means it's time to wrap up. Did you have a favorite episode or a favorite arc? Oh, that's a good question. Favorite arc? I do really like the Ashika. She ends up, as you said, running in this by-election, and I think that that is really where things sort of start to click into place. Like, her... I just love her so much, and anytime she gets more attention, I'm really happy. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially because I so often am interested in how shows treat their female characters, and the fact that we have in this show... Um, Ashika and Kirsty and Joe are all pretty main characters. And then there's a, there's another journalist, Sophie. And I think that a lot of times, I don't know, we fall in, 
with political shows especially it's easy to be like here's the one female character like west wing did that like cj's great yeah but she's the only example and here because we have more of them uh it's kind of okay for them to be flawed and unlikable like kirsty especially is very unlikable joe gets into some uh joe has a really interesting arc as you mentioned where we're kind of watching her like personal life fall apart in an interesting way but ashika i just can't i just can't speak highly enough of her i think it's so cool and so i do like when she she comes more into her own and she sort of steps out from under the shadow of working uh, for this MP and sort of gets her own independent arc. And and that stuff I think is really interesting and her relating to the sort of local people where she's working and, and really the nitty gritty of how this sort of campaign and election works is this sort of like British politics I'm very interested in. And even though, you know, the system in, in America is obviously different, I think you could extrapolate a lot of, a lot from like how these little things work and the little silly things about, you know, cooking a recipe so that people there will like you and, and all the silly business that goes on when you're trying to run an election. That stuff is all really interesting to me. You gotta love how Scott goes up there to whip the campaign into shape like two weeks before the election. Cause that's yeah, a thing that you totally. can do in the UK and that's not how elections work nope. over here. Uh, it's, that's, that is a, a fun element definitely of, of the show, but, but yeah, so like I said, for me, it's firing on all cylinders at the end when we get everybody mm-hmm. more invested in this campaign. And, uh, I will think of the season that never was cause it could have been a fun one. It but... could have been. Oh well. Um thank you so much for for getting me to watch Party Animals. Uh where oh, I'm can so glad. our listeners find you and your work online? Yeah, so the easiest place to find me is on Twitter. I am at Caroline Sita, C A R O L I N E S I E D E. Uh last name impossible to say, impossible to spell. Uh, otherwise I'm on the AV club so you can search for me there and thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Always a pleasure Caroline and listeners can find me at Pop Optic uh where We've got a lot going on right now. Uh, you can also find some of my writing up at the AV Club, and you can reach out to me. Uh, you, can, you can find us on iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed, both of which are currently broken, but we're fixing them. We're fixing them. Hopefully, it will be all resolved in the next few days. You can also uh, like us on Facebook to follow the goings on at Pop Optic TV, as well as the Televerse and Startup Conversation there. You can email me, theteleverse at gmail.com. And of course, you can find me on Twitter at the Televerse. Love talking with you guys there. So please do reach out and let me let, let me know what you thought of the Mr. Robot finale. And if you checked out Party Animals, let me know what you thought about that too. But again, thank you once more, Caroline, for coming on the podcast. And thank you everyone for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.